0: Church family, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. By way of introduction to our sermon this morning, I want to read from 1 John chapter 1. It won't be our primary text, but I think it will get us headed in the right direction. You trust that when you hear the Bible, it's God speaking, so I want you to listen in that vein. This is God's message for you. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. There's great potential in these words for your soul. This is the message the apostle John writes, we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's so much here, but there's... uh, three-letter word that I read twice that I hope you heard twice, and not just hear it, you believe it. The blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My aim this morning is to proclaim a good word for those of you who um, maybe there's still something, still got something yeah, I believe he forgives, but what about this? Can he forgive me and cleanse me from this? I've got a message for you. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he doesn't cleanse us from most sin. Thank you that he doesn't forgive us of most sin. Now, Father, we, we could make two mistakes over the scripture we just read. First is to acknowledge that we have sin, but not believe you can forgive us all of it. And the second mistake we can make is to believe we don't really have any sin that needs to be forgiven. Both are destructive and are lies of the enemy, this world, and the flesh. And so we stand against the lies today on the authority of the Word of God. That the Apostle John had heard a message and his response to hearing the message was to proclaim it. And the message is the gospel. So I pray in Jesus' name that um, for those among us today that they have a stronghold or a reservoir of guilt or shame. Perhaps something that's been done to them or something that they themselves have done. A stronghold of and Father we just call them out by name. A stronghold of anger and bitterness. Stronghold of Of lust or pornography, a stronghold of shame. May it be, Father, that the light of your word shines in all the necessary places in our hearts and in our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you uh, might want to hold your spot. We'll come back to 1 John. But I'm a, um, I'm sort of a visual learner. And uh, there's a chapter, Second Kings chapter 5, that's sort of a visual aid to this gospel truth that we aim to proclaim today. Very frequently what God has done in his word is he gives Old Testament examples of New Testament truth. In other words, he does things in the physical and visible world that teach us what happens in the invisible and spiritual realm, if that makes sense. He'll do things through uh, physical bodies that represent what happens uh, to our to our spirits. And 2 Kings chapter 5 is one of my very favorite pictures of the gospel. And I love to read, and I love to read great writing. Uh, my uh, middle daughter Priscilla and I are reading through E.B. White's great Charlotte's web on uh, on evenings at bedtime. And we love to read about Charlotte and, and Wilbur and uh, all their uh, farm animal friends. And we have a great time talking about... Um, some things that those books point out. And Second Kings 5 is, um, is, a, is, is very well written. And it comes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. And the author is using a literary device that's often referred to as dramatic irony. And that's the device where the reader, which will be us, we know things being written about the characters that they themselves don't know. And therefore, the actions of the lead characters in this chapter take on a different meaning for us. And so the the intention behind the literary device of dramatic irony is so that the reader will examine his or her own life situation and actions. All that to say is we're not just going to read this story and say, well, that was a really great story. The whole point of it is here's a story about God's power to cleanse, how it plays out in this person's life. And then we want to examine how it plays out in our own life. Second Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll read the introduction here to this event. Naaman, who we wanted to get technical about his Hebrew name, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. All right, so this is man as somebody. At this point in time, we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, and if we just were sort of jumping in midstream, Syria is the bully on the block, all right? They're the mightiest. If you read Old Testament uh, scripture uh, through the timeline, there's times that the Egyptians, and then the Philistines, then the Syrians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and then it kind of ends with the Babylonians, and then the Intertestamental period, the Greeks, and then ultimately the Romans, they sort of take turns. Uh, who's the mightiest nation on earth. There's a good principle for us who are born in the United States of America and that is this, that whatever the mightiest nation on the planet happens to be at a certain point in time, nobody stays there for long. So uh, uh, we'll just leave that point for another another time, but at this point, Syria is the mightiest. And he's the mightiest man in the mightiest nation, right? But he's got a problem and it says here in verse number one, but he was a leper. Let's keep reading. Now the Syrians, on their one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, thus and so, the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, now go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Israel. Now here's the structure of our message from 2 Kings 5. We're going to talk about Naaman's status. We're going to talk about Naaman's problem. and We're going to talk about Naaman's hope. And the whole time we're talking about Naaman, we're not just talking about him. We're also talking about me. And we're also talking about you. So let's get a little bit of information about Naaman's status. And I uh, did my best to alliterate this. All right. So this is point number one, Naaman's status. And I just want to give you some descriptive terms. They're all going to start with the letter S. Uh, Naaman was, first of all, he was successful. He's commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Modern equivalent, he's the secretary of defense, he's the national security advisor, and he's the on-ground commander. He's all rolled into one, right? I mean, this is somebody. He's successful. He walks in the room, everybody perks up, there's Naaman, he's important, he's somebody. So we're going to go over his status, then we'll go over his problem, then we'll go over his hope, and then you've got, you got a little insert, outline, all that's going to come at the end, just so you're aware of that. So you just hold that aside, because we're going to make applications of all this. So Naaman, first of all, he was, he was successful. Second, we know he's really smart. He's not just influential, he's highly intelligent. I mean, you don't get to be his position in the mightiest nation on earth at the time without being very intelligent. He's successful, he's smart, he's strong, a great man with his master and in high favor. He's Syria's chief military strategist. And the scripture is quick to point out that his success has a reason behind it. It says, because by him, the Lord had given great victory to Syria. So if you are successful and if you are smart and if you are strong and some of these other things that we'll talk about be very cautious about boasting in those things as if you brought those things uh, about so when he speaks others listen and his uh matching his intellectual abilities would no doubt be the fact that he was physically strong this is a person you would not have wanted to have a physical confrontation with right i mean to be the military leader at that time and place He's, he's been on the battlefield, is what we're getting at, right? He's marched onto the battlefield, and he's marched off time and again, and he's been successful. He's been the last one standing. And he's sort, of, he's sort of everything that people aspire to be. In a nation of hundreds of thousands, he's risen to the most prominent status. He's successful, he's smart, he's strong, he's supported by powerful friends. Look, the king of Syria is eager to help him his connections go all the way to the top, right? He's got friends in high places. And next, he's a a man of substantial means. Look at verse 5. King spoke and said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes now i know that you probably haven't been to the bank this week and asked for some shekels or some talents that's not the terminology that we use but suffice to say that was a good chunk of change right he's a man of substantial means the next to point out is he's a he's a syrian right so for our purposes that means he's a stranger to israel he is a gentile he's not hebrew he's he's gentile right so if you're reading this as, uh, as it was written in the time and the place, a quick question that you would ask is, would God do anything for this person who's not from Israel? But we'll see what God is willing to do. So if you're tracking along our alliterated attempts here, he's successful, he's smart, he's strong, he's supported by powerful friends, he's a man of substantial means, he's Syrian, he's a citizen of the mightiest nation, and all of that would be great except for this last S, and you might be able to anticipate it. He's also sick, not not a head cold. He's got the worst diagnosis a person could have in that time of place. In, In fact, it's kind of interesting the way the author here writes it. In 2 Kings, verse number one, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Was he successful? Yes. But that did not make him immune to leprosy. Was he smart? Yes. But not intelligent enough to work his way out of this problem. Was he strong? Yes. But what battlefield do you go to fight this battle? Was he supported by powerful friends? Yes. In fact, at the time and place, the most powerful man on the planet, the king of Syria. And he could not do anything about it. Was he a person of substantial means? Yes, but there are things, friends, in life that money cannot purchase. Was he a citizen of the most powerful nation in the area? Yes, but that does not solve this problem. So here's a principle, friends. Uh, Naaman has all the things that we're conditioned uh, as human beings to go after and to aspire to. He's got them all, right? I mean, it's graduation season. And you get these commencement addresses and people of great prestige stand up and talk about going after your dreams. Naaman's done them all, right? He's risen to the most prominent position he could, but he has a problem that all of that prestige, all of that glory, all of that intelligence, all of that wealth is not sufficient to solve. So here's your principle. Here's my principle. It's a story about Naaman, yes, but it's also a story about us we have problems too big for us we've got problems too big for us you, however much money you make however high you climb the corporate ladder how high your uh, IQ is how much you can bench press how much uh, uh, how many influential friends you have there are still problems too big for us. There's a saying, no doubt you've heard before, that God will never give us more than we can bear. Not so. Example A, Naaman. He's got an issue. What's he going to do about it? Where can he go? Isn't it fascinating that uh, for all his influence and all of his uh, well-connected friends, that what he needs to do comes from <laughs> a little girl talk about that more in a moment, but that's Naaman's status. Secondly is Naaman's problem. At that time and place, again, there's no fate worse than leprosy. Leprosy meant a few things. First, if you had it, you were going to have it. There's no, uh, there's no solution to it. In fact, you have it, and it's only going to get worse. It would start with a spot, right? saying that great song, Jesus can change the leper's spot. Well, Jesus can, but no doctor, no, uh, no physician, no king, no mighty man of valor. Once you would see the spots, and that's how it would start, uh, on the arms or on your chest or frequently around the nose or around the eyes, this little speck. And man, when you realize you had that speck, it's devastating. Because while it may start out as a spot, it would only grow until it consumes a person. It affected everything, and there's no known cure at the time. You'd first lose your sense of touch as it began to spread, right? And oftentimes, if you think about your five physical senses, the one you think that you might be able to do best without is your sense of touch, right? Want to keep our hearing and keep our seeing and keep our tasting and so on and so forth. But touch, maybe that's dispensable, but it's really not. You lose your sense of touch... Well, frequently what would happen with lepers is they would injure themselves, they'd cut themselves, uh, uh, they'd, they'd bump into something or what, uh, any number of things, they'd fall, and they wouldn't feel it, and they wouldn't actually understand how injured they were. Some, some bled to death, not even knowing what was happening. And it would ultimately affect your other five senses. Your, nim- uh, your limbs, rather, would gradually become numb. Second, as we've said, there's no known cure Once you received the diagnosis, there was nothing you could do to cure it. There were efforts you could make to live with it and cope with it, but nothing you could do completely to rid leprosy from you. And third, so one, it would gradually get worse. Two, there's no known cure. And and third, the end result was inevitably death and a miserable death. Lonely. And painful. In order to um, uh, help those you loved most, what would often happen is you'd completely separate yourself from them. Right? I mean, can you imagine the heartache of telling your children goodbye, telling your grandchildren goodbye, telling your your spouse goodbye for their own good? I can't be near you anymore. That's what has happened to Naaman. He said, "All of these great moments of success, all of these great victories in his life, but now he's presented a problem." that he can't handle. Is this a story about him or is this a story about us? Yes. Uh, Leprosy does to the body what sin does to the soul. This is why it's important. that now we're talking about us. You have a problem. I have a problem that's too big for me. It's too big for you. You can't earn enough money. You can't uh, have enough prestige to solve the problem called sin. And what leprosy does to the body, sin does to the soul. Once you've got it, you got it. Can I give you a diagnosis? You got it. Now, you think about it for a moment. Whatever it was, whatever time and place, we're not given the detail where Naaman first received his diagnosis. I have leprosy. How devastating that moment is. And where his mind would begin to go. I'm going to be cut off from my friends, all the talents and shekels I've got. All the victories in the past that I've had on the battlefield, none of that is sufficient. And now I'm inevitably going to die and it's going to be a miserable death. Just think about what he endured in that moment and what hit him in that moment. Now, friends, if, it, if you've never felt the weight of your diagnosis that you're a sinner, that's commensurate with the way Naaman felt when he understood he was a leper, then I'm not sure whether or not you've ever fully understood what it means. To have the diagnosis that you are a sinner. And here's the back to that three-letter word, A-L-L, Romans three twenty 4. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You got sin, you can't do anything about it. And, and secondly, secondly, there's no cure that we've come up with. Best case scenario is you learn to begin to cope with it. Just begin to learn to live with it. And what sin, uh, in the same way that leprosy begins to affect uh, senses, here's what sin does to your soul. You become completely spiritually insensitive. Here's what happens. You can sit for hours and binge watch Netflix and it sends all sorts of ungodly, unrighteous messages to you and it doesn't affect you. In fact, you're quite entertained by it. And then... Same time, same person. Rather, open up the Word of God and begin to proclaim it, and it just bounces off. Why? Why? Why are the things of world so things of the world so captivating, and the things of holy and righteous God so boring? Because you've got leprosy, you've got sin, and it's gotten into your heart, and it's made you completely unfeeling towards the things of God, and now you can't hear, you can't sense. And the end result, friends, is the soul that sins, the scripture says, think about this, not the body that sins, the soul that sins shall surely, who knows the scripture, die. So the end result is inevitably spiritual death. You are dead spiritually and you're going to enter eternal death, destruction. That's Naaman's problem physically is your problem, my problem, spiritually. So again, friends, if you don't recognize that your situation is much more precarious than Naaman's was, then you've not wrestled yet with this reality of what sin has done. Sin tells God that he does not matter. This is what sin is, is telling God that he can just go away. I'm going to run my own life. And you think about it, the creation telling the creator, we don't want you, right? We'll do what we want to do when we want to do it. We don't want to hear from you. That's what the scripture says we've done. We've sinned against him and we've rebelled and we've told him he does not matter. Now let's talk about Naaman's hope. There are um, three quick uh, observations i want to make about Naaman's hope. First of all, the message of his hope comes from an unexpected source. Now think of all the influential people that Naaman is around on a day-in and day-out basis. The king, other mighty men of valor, uh, brave and powerful warriors, uh, no doubt powerful economic advisors, valiant military commanders, and the source, the message, comes from an unexpected source. It says here in uh, verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So here's a here's a a, a little girl that's been captured on one of Naaman's military uh, campaigns, and she's been removed from her homeland, and now she's working for Naaman's wife. She's an alien. She's a stranger, and the scripture says that's who you are on this earth, friends. You're strangers and aliens. We are on our way home. We are not home yet and that's important to resolve in your heart we're on our way home we're not home thank god that this little girl didn't just mope around about her terrible status in life she's a messenger of hope who's in a place where people need to hear hope i hope that's how you see your life now i have three little girls actually i mean uh, uh, mary claire's not here she's probably been offended by that but i have this is actually how i wrote it in my notes i have three girls two of them are what i would still call little so i just want to get that out there and, uh, man, they're so optimistic and sweet. And I thought about my six-year-old daughter in particular, my precious Priscilla. In uh, the first two, the Hebrew is little girl, right? So this girl is probably six, seven, eight years old. And without going in great detail, as, uh, as many of you know, uh, our family's gone through a little season of, 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 of hardship. And um, through it all, No one, and I mean no one, has prayed like Priscilla has prayed. It's been this wonderful combination of childlike innocence and childlike confidence at the same time. Believing that God can do whatever God wants to do. And when Naaman is facing his own ordeal of all the people he turns to for counsel, it's this little girl. Now parents, I'd go on and encourage you, don't underestimate... What God might use your children to do. Sometimes we put a ceiling on on our children. And praise God, they've not yet adopted our cynicism. We might need a little bit more of their confidence and a little bit less of our own cynicism. I think that's by and large what Jesus meant when he said, if any man's going to come to me, he has to come to me like a child. It says a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Very frequently, very frequently, the message of the hope of the gospel comes forth most clearly through those whose own circumstances in life have been very difficult. Does that make sense? Here's here's a little girl. She's not got any parents. I mean, maybe she's at least, what we can see, has been removed from them. She's had a hard series of circumstances, and you can understand why, in the midst of that difficulty, her message is received in a certain way way i say that for those of you who are going through difficult ordeals sometimes your hardship is the best opportunity you'll ever have to proclaim the gospel i want you to notice from this story that the message of hope does not come from the person of great influence the message of hope comes to the person who has great influence does that make sense That's why Jesus said not many rich are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because their own riches blind them to what life's really all about. We'll see it in a moment. 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul explains this in great detail. So we assume that the words of hope and words of insight we need would come from the Naamans of the world, right? The people of influence and power and prestige. The, the, the speakers that when someone gets up to introduce them, the, the, the introduction goes on longer than the message because of all the things they have to say about this person's influence. But that's not God's way, friends. Let me demonstrate it to you from 1 Corinthians. If you're in 2 Kings, hold your spot there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1. Talking about Naaman's hope here, the message comes from an unexpected source. So number 1... I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The word of the cross... A great description of our hope. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. For it's written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You want an example of that? Hey, name it all your money, wealth, power, prestige. is of no account in this problem of leprosy. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is then the one who is wise? Where is described? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And here's our emphasis for this morning. All this is wonderful, but look at what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you, were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. What's he saying? More of you will proclaim the gospel of the hope of salvation who are more like that little girl than are like Naaman. God chose what's foolish in the world to bring shame to the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So that, here's the point, no being, no human being might boast And the presence of God. That's why you've got problems too big for you. I'm not going to go to heaven and boast about what you've done. We're going to spend all eternity boasting about what God's done. He's the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, amen to that. Naaman's hope, the message comes from an unexpected source. And, and, And the next, the message contains... Unexpected instructions let 's keep reading together, second Kings five verse six he brought the letter from the king of Syria, brought a letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you name and my servant that you may cure him of leprosy. <laughs> when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive what this man sends me word to cure a man of leprosy? only consider and see how this He's seeking a quarrel with me. And the king of Israel's assumption is this is like a military ploy. Israel's not yet been conquered by Syria, but he's picking a fight with me. He's sending me a man to cure of leprosy. How am I able to do that? Verse 8. Praise God that somebody in Israel had faith. It wasn't the king. Pray for our nation. You might pray that there would be men and women in our nation still believe but when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel torn his clothes, that the king of Israel was flipping out, right? He sent to the king saying, Why? Why? Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You got the mighty military over there. We got the truth over here. So Naaman came with his horses. <laughs> It says something about Naaman, doesn't it? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, you just have to know this in this culture, in this time and place, he's shown up in all this pomp and circumstance, and Elisha doesn't even go out the door to speak to him. He's going to get offended by that. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean.'" But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. What kind of humorous, isn't it? I thought there must be some some weird, mystical, mumbo jumbo that has to go on for me to be cured. He hasn't even come out to talk to me. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Right? I come from Syria. I'm somebody in Syria. And this man wanted not to come out. And it's at this moment that, that uh, Naaman probably begins to think, this is so foolish. But he's been so desperate that he's willing to try almost anything, right? And he's angry. He's embarrassed. He's brought his chariots. He's brought his, his uh, soldiers with him. And they're all standing there. And uh, he's furious. Could I not wash it and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He's furious. So he turned and went away. He's leaving, right? He's done. He's going back to Syria. But his servants. I want you to notice a few times as we've been reading here, there's been an interruption. But Elisha. But the servants. The word of the Lord came through the prophet and then there's some servants who intervened. And this is how the message goes out, friends. But there was a servant girl. But there was a prophet. But now some servants came near and said to him, My father, you do get a sense from this narrative that Naaman for all his pomp, power, and circumstance was well-liked by those who knew him best. The servant girl found him approachable and now his servants. My father, it's a word of of endearment. It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Could it really be that easy? (laughs) So he went. Can you picture him? He's doing all right. He can go in the water. He's got ten changes of clothes. You can go down in that water. But can you picture him in your mind? I can't picture him going. I mean, he's already been angry, kind of hesitant, right? Kind of looking, this is so foolish. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And you're going to see it right here. He goes from believing it's foolishness to experiencing its power. And what happens? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. I kind of think to myself, after four times did he say, this is silly. I mean, here's this man of influence and power and prestige. One time, two times in the Jordan, three times in the Jordan. Oh, maybe after the fifth time kind of looking. According to the word of the man of God, And his flesh was restored. Like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. They wanted to pinch his cheeks. Right. Obedience to the message results in incomparable healing. Is this just a great story? I believe all the Bible points to Jesus. It's one cohesive and comprehensive message about Jesus. So if you've got the outline, we're just doing four big truths from the life of Naaman. Four big truths. How much of his leprosy was healed, by the way? Did this just go back to where just a speck now? Now all of it's gone, right? I want you to see what was true of leprosy. One, that it spread. Now that, that curse has been reversed, right? It's no longer spreading. It's been eliminated completely. Secondly, there was nothing that Naaman could do about it, but that's not to say that there was nothing that God could do about it. And and, and then third, it's not going to lead to his death. He's been healed in his life, right? Now, if you are a person of faith, those observations ought to hit you and say, isn't that exactly what the gospel has done for us in Christ Jesus for our souls? So the first point here is, only when we acknowledge our own sinful state will we seek the path to cleansing. I, I wonder how long Naaman went knowing he was a leper before he told anybody, right? So that's what you'd often know. I'm just going to cover it up. I'm going to I'm, I'm go on being the, the military advisor. I'm going to go on and be the chief strategist. Get my words out in a moment. Uh, how, did his wife know right away, right? His friends know right away? That's the reality of sin, friends. We want to cu- keep it covered up. But it's only when we acknowledge our own sinful state will we seek the path to cleansing. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. And when we understand the truth, the first thing we'll do is we do acknowledge our sinful state. But we seek the path to cleansing. You understand from the get-go, when Adam and Eve sinned, their first response was to cover it up, clear the web browser. Hope nobody sees that I looked at that. And cover it up, cover it up. Bury the anger, bury the resentment, bury the guilt, bury the shame. But only when we acknowledge our own sinful state will we seek the path to cleansing. The great advantage Naaman had is he knew he was sick. We've all inherited the sin nature. We were born with a terminal sickness, and sin affects everything about us spiritually. We're born spiritually blind, deaf, and mute, and we cannot make ourselves better. Friends, we don't have an intelligence problem. We don't have a money problem. We don't have the right citizenship problem. It's not if you can just aspire and obtain all those things, everything will be better. But that's the message you will hear over and over and over. We just get the right government. We just get the right people in office. We just get the right education program. And over and over and over, it's only when we acknowledge our own, not economic state, not political state, our own sinful state will we seek the path to cleansing number two only when we hear the truth will we discover the path to cleansing that's what our emphasis was last week right there are people all over the world whether they're in Mozambique, czech republic taiwan pennsylvania rocky Mount. we hear the uh, that have never heard the truth of the gospel and often the truth comes from unexpected sources It comes often and most effectively and most frequently through those whom the world does not esteem. It comes from those that the world looks uh, opposes and looks down uh, upon. Have you done these things? Number three, only when we reach the end of our own way will we be ready to follow the Lord's way. I have to tell you, I don't think going to the Jordan River and dipping seven times was option A for Naaman. I don't think that's what he tried first. I don't think that's what he tried second. I don't think that's what he tried third. You know when he went? When he had exhausted all other alternatives. Now friends, that's what Naaman did, but that's not what you have to do. Better to hear the truth and respond in obedience today than to try to uh, see all the others. Um, Most of us really believe Either sin is not the real problem, or we can sort of handle and manage it on our own. So if you think about it, the primary barrier Naaman had between his sickness and his cleansing was what? What was the primary barrier Naaman had between his sickness and his healing? You see it because he got so angry. You know what the primary barrier is for him? Same it is for you. Same it is for me. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. It's pride. His pride. pride. He's, he's a man of such prestige. He was almost too proud to obey. He was almost too proud thinking that all this dipping in the Jordan River seven times was silly and unnecessary. And here's the tragedy, that there are those who have such pride in their own prestigious position in the world that they will never seek the Lord for help. That's precisely why Jesus said it's almost almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. His riches create the illusion that he does not need Christ. Because money can buy a lot of things, but the most frequent thing money purchases is the illusion that we don't need God. Fourth and final is only when we do as God requires Will we receive his cleansing? That takes us back to where we started in 1 John chapter 1. What's the the application? We get on the airplane and go to the Jordan River and we're going to dip ourselves seven times. No, no, that's a picture of what was to come. You don't need the picture of what was to come when the one who has was to come has, has arrived. Amen? That's his message, 1 John. Chapter 5. Lord Jesus came walking up out of the Jordan River to proclaim a message. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you're understanding the, 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 the picture from 2 Kings 5... In Him is no leprosy at all. Not a bit. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with God when we've not gone to the Jordan and not been cleansed, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, that's what sin does. Same as leprosy. cuts us off from each other. The blood of Jesus, see that, not dipping seven times in the Jordan, but the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, Naaman had said he had no leprosy, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now that's sort of the banner over this generation. We don't have any sin. We're self-deceived. The truth is not in us. You don't go... Dipping seven times in the Jordan River. Here we go, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, He is faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is important, friends. Because in my experience, I believe a lot of people believe half of that verse. They believe in forgiveness But they do not believe in cleansing. What's the difference between the two? God's forgiven me of this, but cleansing means He liberates me from this. Does this make sense? He's forgiven me of this sin, sin of my anger, the sin of my lust, but to be cleansed, to be cleansed means that God also, by His same power that forgives you, the same power that redeems you, part of that being redeemed is that you are going to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Again, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The blood of Jesus that forgives us is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. So, in conclusion, (laughs) the primary barrier that Naaman had between his sickness and his cleansing was his pride. And that's what's also true of us. Remember, dramatic irony. We all to examine ourselves. The primary barrier that we have is we're too proud to admit our great need for Jesus. When Jesus was um, in the flesh and on the earth during his ministry, he met a man sort of like Naaman. A man who was very powerful, a man who was very wealthy, a man who was very influential, a man who was highly intelligent. His name was Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In fact, that's what Nicodemus' name means, right? It's two Greek words, Nike, if you've ever had the tennis shoes, means victory. Demas means, means people, demographics, and democracy. We still have that terminology. So so Nicodemus shows up, and he's victory of the people. He's the people's champion. He's the best people can do. And you remember the first thing Jesus said to him when Nicodemus came walking through the door? He said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's to Nicodemus and John 3 that perhaps the most well-known verse in all the Bible was said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have ever." Lasting life. Just stand with me, and we're going to pray together. Those of you who are not followers of Jesus, the invitation is to confess your sins, knowing He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That Jesus on the cross shed His blood, and there is no extent of leprosy to your soul that sin creates that His blood is not sufficient to forgive. Secondly, as we bow our heads, perhaps you're a follower of Jesus and you really do believe that your sins are forgiven, but you still have a stronghold that it does seem in your life that you've yet to been cleansed of. I want you to know that Christ died so that you would be free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And where we would begin today is if you've got something in your life And maybe it's been there a long time, right? Would you just begin here? Would you begin to pray to God that the Holy Spirit would give you a desire to be rid of it? Start there. Father, I desire that this, this anger or this shame or this guilt or this lust, I desire to be free from it. I desire to be cleansed of it. None of us this morning can sit here and say, "Well, we don't wrestle with sin." If we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar. The truth's not in us. If we want to get the whole truth. He can cleanse us of it. So, Father, thank you, thank you for uh, many of us would be able to say in our lives there's somebody like a servant girl who came along and shared with us the message of hope. Maybe our, our uh, understanding of the truth came from an unexpected source. God, thank you for those in our lives who've been faithful to proclaim that there is a message of hope. Father, I pray that pride is as powerful as it is. I believe the Holy Spirit is stronger still. So Father, during this invitation time, may you fill this place up with your light and your hope. If anybody here today has never submitted to Christ, may they do so now, not put it off, Father, I simply ask the Holy Spirit to come and lead our invitation. Bring conviction where it's needed. Bring healing where it's needed. Bring prayerfulness as it's needed. We pray in Jesus' name.